I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I want to talk with you today about government. And I can already feel the inward collective sigh when I said those words. You've been getting the political calls as well, I guess. Hi, this is so-and-so robotic call calling you to vote and this and that and the other. If we're honest, it seems to us that government is a necessary evil. We can't live with it, and we can't live without it, so we just put up with it. We just suffer together through it, and we hope that uh, we make it together. But is that the way we should view government? I only bring this up because the Bible does. And as we're studying through 1 Peter, we find ourselves here in the second chapter, and we find ourselves beginning at verse 13. That was the next uh, text that came up. And in those verses, we're told how we're to view the government and how we're to respond to the government. And you remember we looked at last time at just two verses, uh, verses 11 and 12, and we learned a very basic, simple principle, uh, instruction, we're to uh, avoid sin and do good. And um, that was how we summarized that, avoid sin and do good. And we talked a lot about how that actually plays itself out. And those two verses, verses 11 and 12, uh, they're kind of just an a, uh, introduction to everything else that was going to come. You know, avoid sin and do good. In fact, are you there? In fact, back up there, if you would, to uh, verse 11. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So we said what? We're to avoid sin and we're to do good. And then the next step that's coming in the book, beginning today and in the weeks to come, he shows us how that's going to work its way out in the different spheres of life. What does that look like, avoiding sin and doing good? What does it look like when it comes to the government? What does it look like when it comes to our job or our homes? And as we study this in the weeks to come, a theme is going to rise to the surface. And the truth of the matter is you may not like the theme. Because the theme that rises to the surface is the theme of submission. That's not a word people love. And some don't even like it. So what's your favorite word? Do you ever think anybody would ever say submit or submission? We don't like that word. Well, don't tune me out because maybe you don't like that word either. In fact, I want you to tune into God's word. So you're there at 1 Peter chapter 2. Now we're at verse 13. He just said that we're to avoid sin, we're to do good. Now look at verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, Honor the king. Now, let's just be honest about it. That's a pretty straightforward passage of Scripture. We're to obey the government, obey the laws, and be good citizens, good Christians in the world. Simply put, we are to obey the law. We're to obey the law. Every ordinance of man is called there. And that holds true from the highest level. It talks about the king. That is national government for us. 
down to the local uh, level. It talks about the government. And we would include in that, of course, the governors and judges and, and law enforcement and the like. And so we're supposed to obey. Now, there are exceptions to that. There are times where you are to disobey the government. In fact, uh, in the book of Acts, the one writing this in First Peter, Peter himself actually disobeyed. Let me show you some verses. Look up here and you can jot these down. Acts 4, verses 18 and 19. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. And so we have here this whole idea they disobeyed. Look at Acts chapter 5. Verses 27 through 29. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you to, not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man, Jesus' blood on us. But Peter and the other disciples answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. And so there are times that we're to disobey government. When man's law goes against God's law, we're to disobey. And so if they say, listen, you can't preach in Jesus' name anymore, we're to disobey. If they try to get us to do things that are sinful, or that sort of thing. But, but the whole idea here is, for the most part, at least in our nation, in our world, most of the laws we are supposed to obey. The stop sign at the end of the road, at the end of the drive, is not there because we're Christians and they hate us and they don't want us to go about our business. It's there so you don't get killed or you don't kill someone else. Many of the laws of our land, they are for our good and for our protection. And so for the most part, we can obey this without reservation, without hesitation. But there are exceptions that when the government says, listen, you can no longer obey God. Those are the times we say, well, we're going to disobey that. We're going to obey God rather than man. We may not like the law. We may not like the, um, the rules. They, they shape us a bit. Uh, in fact, some of our laws are actually ridiculous uh, to many of us. We wonder who in the world came up with that. But nonetheless, we're to obey them. And of course, the question is, why? Why? Uh, thinking about parents, thinking about Mother's Day, maybe you've had a child who you tell them to do something and they very... Bravely or foolishly say to you, why? <laughs> Do this. Why? Why should we as believers obey the law? Well, let's look at what the Scripture says. There's several reasons given here. First of all, it says in verse 13, we're to obey for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. We don't just obey laws because we don't want to get in trouble, although that's a great motive. We don't want to get in trouble. You all understand that. You're driving the speed limit and you don't worry about it. When you're speeding, you're looking everywhere for the state trooper because you're concerned you're going to get caught. It's going to cost you. But we don't obey laws just so we don't get in trouble. We obey the law in order to honor God, to bring glory to God. He told us to do it. Therefore, we obey Him in obeying the law and we bring honor and glory to Him. He's the one that ordained all this in the first place. He ordained the government in the first place. And the government is to punish evildoers and encourage those who are doing right. Look at verse 14. You're still there, 1 Peter 2:14. Or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. But you and I have lived long enough to know something that's true 
the government doesn't always get it right. Now, I really thought I'd hear some of you say amen for the very first time in church when I said that phrase. The government doesn't always get it right. It's sweet. It's lost. Once you didn't say it the first time, it's gone. (laughs) But listen, we have to thank God that we have government. Imagine living now with no laws, no authority, no rules, no instruction, no one to call if you get in trouble, no one to call when your house gets robbed. Imagine living in chaos like that. Now, you're in First Peter. Would you put your finger there and would you turn to the book of Romans? We've got to look at Romans 13 in regards to this. We've got to see what God says about this whole idea of government. Romans 13, beginning at verse 1. I want you to look at this with me. It says in Romans 13, 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, watch the next part of Romans 13, 1. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by who? By God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For he, now watch this, verse 4. For he is God's minister to you for good. Talking about the government, the governmental officials. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Custom to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. And honor to whom honor. Very straightforward. Obey the law. Pay your taxes. Realize they're there for your good. Now, I'm fairly certain that some are probably thinking, Doesn't he know it's Mother's Day? This is not a Mother's Day message. Why is he not preaching on Hannah? Why is he not preaching on a lady in the Bible? Why is he not preaching on motherhood today? And as we looked at this passage, you know what struck me? This is a great passage for Mother's Day. It is. You say, preacher, are you sure? Well, I thought about it. This is a great passage for Mother's Day, and we'll talk more about it later as well. But first of all, you know why? Because we're talking about submission to authority. And where do we learn submission to authority? Or maybe I should phrase this. Where should we learn submission to authority? Where's the first place we should learn that? At home. At home. At least that's where we should learn it. Now, here's how it works, right? We learn to submit to authority. We learn to submit to mom and dad. And mom and dad teach us about submitting to authority. And then there comes a day where they send us off to school. And at school, we're to submit to the principal and the teachers. And then we continue to grow and learn and we realize we're to submit to the policemen and the people in authority. And then... We get a job. 
And believe it or not, there's somebody there on the job who wants us to submit to them. They're called our boss or our supervisor, and we have to submit to their authority. And then we get our first paycheck, and we say, what's this? We have to submit to authority and pay taxes, and on and on and on. And that's how it's supposed to work. But what do we have today? Sad to say, what we have today is many people who never get this lesson at home. They're never taught to submit to authority at home to mom and dad. So they don't submit to the teacher or the principal or the policeman or the judge or anybody else. And they suffer the consequences. And society suffers the consequences. And you and I suffer the consequences. So this is a great passage for Mother's Day. Moms, look how important your work really is. You're teaching and training your children to submit to authority. And that lesson, was listen, it's going to bless you. It's going to bless them. And it's going to bless society at large. Because when they don't learn that, there's heartache for you, there's heartache for them, and there's heartache for society at large. This whole idea of submitting to authority. We submit to authority for the Lord's sake, and we also submit to authority. Why? Because it is, um, it is the will of God. Verse 15. It's the will of God. So many want to know God's will for their life. And uh, they say, if I just knew God's will. Well, listen, here's a big one. Submit to authority. Look at verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Living a godly life will put to silence the foolish person. That's talking about the lost person. There are people who do not know Jesus Christ, and they think that we're foolish, they think that we're weird, they think that we're crazy, and they're busy talking badly and tearing down the gospel and tearing down us, tearing down our faith, slandering the gospel. And what he says is, listen, live a godly life, submit to authority, do these things and be a good citizen and you're going to put the silence. What can they say after all? They watch your life, but you're consistently bringing honor and glory to the Lord. Christians should be the best citizens. The best citizens that there are. Christians should be. Now, it's true that heaven is our home. We know that. We've talked about that already in this passage. Verses 11 and 12, we read earlier. We're sojourners, we're pilgrims. Heaven is our home. We've mentioned that in this study but we're also citizens of this land. Look at verse 16. It says, As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of Jesus Christ. Listen, we're free in Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We've been set free from the bondage of sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. But that freedom is not to be used in order to sin. Look at Galatians 5.13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we've been set free in Christ, but not free to sin, but free to live for Christ. And free to bring glory to Him. Because we belong to Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. And so we're, if we're a child of God, if you've repented of your sin 
and placed your faith in Christ, you've been set free from the bondage of sin. You have liberty in Christ. And so you use that liberty to bring honor to Christ. But he also says, listen, don't forget, you're also a slave to God. You're a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And as a bondservant, serve Christ. Serve God. And that's why we obey the law. That's why we don't cheat on our taxes. That's why we don't uh, steal and we don't kill. We don't do these things. Yes, for conscience sake. Yes, because of punishment. But ultimately, as believers, because we want to honor God. It's the will of God for our lives to obey those in authority. And then in case we miss it, and it's clear, but in case we miss it, we come to verse 17. And verse 17 is kind of a summary of what he's saying. He says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the King. Today's Mother's Day. That's an excellent verse from Mother's Day. Right there. Moms, sometimes you wonder, what do I need to teach my children concerning God and the things of God? Well, right here is a good start. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the King. Let's talk about them one by one. As you're talking to your kids, maybe your kids are younger, maybe it's grandkids in your case, maybe you have older kids, teenagers. Honor all people. Now, to honor all people doesn't mean, listen, doesn't mean we agree with them on everything. In fact, there are a lot of people we may disagree with and oppose their sinful choices and their lifestyle choices and things they do may go against the clear teaching of the Word of God. But this verse reminds us that every person is made in the image of God. Every person is valuable. Every person has an eternity before them. Jesus Christ died so that every person have an opportunity to know him as Lord and Savior. So one of the best lessons we can begin with our children from young up is to honor all people. That means people that are a different color than us, People that are a different background than us. People who may have a, a, a different uh, difficulty in life, a disability, or whatever it may be. They may talk differently. Uh, they may do whatever. And they are totally different from us. But we're to help our children say, listen, all people are made in the image of God. All people have value. All people need to know Jesus. And so we're going to honor all people. Teach your kids to value people. What a wonderful lesson. Not stuff. Not things. Value people. Value relationships. Honor all people. Don't make fun of people. Don't bully. None of that. No, we're going to honor all people. Because they're all made in the image of God. Teach your kids to value people. Secondly, love the brotherhood. Bucky's probably going to take this for the theme verse of brotherhood now. First Peter 2.17. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. That's good. Love the brotherhood. This deals with our Christian family. We're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm so thankful for my church family. Teach your kids how valuable the body of Christ is in their life. Don't make church optional. Don't make Sunday school optional. Just, have, just In our home, we're going to go to church. We're going to go to Sunday school. You're going to go to youth group. You're going to participate. You're going to be involved because the church family is so valuable. God thought so much about it that He ordained the church and gave it for us. And we need the church. And the church needs us. 
because we're to be brothers and sisters of Christ, supporting one another, encouraging, helping one another. And just make it a known thing. Listen, church is not an option. We're going to be in church. We're going to be participating in church. We're going to be active in church. We're not going to be like a not a log. We're going to be involved in church. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Teach your kids to love their church family. I'll be honest with you. There are folks in the body of Christ that I'm closer to than my own beloved family. Because we are one in Christ. And so one of the great lessons you can teach your kids is to love the brotherhood. You're putting things in their life right now that are going to carry forth to your grandchildren. Think about that. You're making investments right now. So don't miss this. Teach your kids to love their church family. Third, fear God. This doesn't mean for the believer we're to cower in fear in the corner, worried that God's going to strike us down. It means to have reverence and respect for God. Have you all noticed there's not much of that in our society? In fact, it's quite the opposite. The only response some people know when they have pain or excitement is to take God's name in vain today. There's no reverencing God or fearing God. To fear God involves knowing and recognizing who God really is. Um, He is the creator of the universe. He's the creator of all things. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise. He's just. He's merciful. And we're to fear God. A reverence, a respect. And that's something you need to teach your kids. We don't play around with God's name. We don't play around with the person of God. We respect God. We love God. We revere God. We fear God. And one of the reasons that we obey the laws of man is because we fear God. Because he ordained all of this. He establishes it. And by the way, he holds the leaders in his hand. Yes, we should vote. Yes, we should exercise our Christian principles and our beliefs. And we should do that as citizens who are free to be able to go and vote. You should do that. But here's the ultimate thing at the end of the day. God is still on the throne and God is completely and totally in control of our world and everything in it. And I just don't worry much about that. Because God is sovereign. And we know that the way things are going, even in our country, it's going to be harder and harder to live the Christian life and because we're being opposed more and more. But we have to continue on. Trusting God. Teach your kids to fear God. And then finally, honor the king. You say, we don't have a king. Well, this is a little bit broader principle. It means it deals with those that are in authority. To honor those in authority. Train your children to appropriately respond to authority. Now listen, yes, caution them against abuse of authority. Caution them against abusers in authority. That's proper, that's wise, that's good. But teach them that the idea of authority... It's God-ordained, it's good, and as appropriate and as you can, always obey authority because it's good and God-given. Remind them this important principle because they don't realize this. Remind them that one day they're going to be in authority. Some of them already think they're in authority, but no. 
But there's coming a day where they're going to be in authority. And if you're going to have authority, you need to learn how to respond to authority. And the whole idea about being authority, it's like in the military, coming under a higher ranking officer. Think about our military. We appreciate our military so much. We have some among us today that have served. You have the military. You have someone who is the commander or the captain or the leader. And they have to fall under that leader's authority. If they don't, there's chaos. There could be casualties. And there could be craziness. And so we're to respond to authority, to line up under authority. So teach your kids to honor authority. Remind them the teacher is in charge at school. Listen to what the principal says. The policemen are here for our good and our benefit. We're to respond to them. But here's the here's the rub. A lot of this is not only taught, it's caught. Now, here's where it's going to get convicting. What do they see in our lives, mom and dads and grandma and grandpas, when it comes to authority? What do they see you doing? What do they hear you saying? When you talk about the government, what are you saying? you talk about the policeman on the side of the road that you just sped by, what are you saying? When you talk about your boss or supervisor at work, when you talk about your church, what are they hearing? It's one thing for you to come to church and say, hey, man, that's right, you heard what Preacher Roger said this morning, the Bible teaches that. But what are you teaching with your lips and your life? And when it comes to the government, I'm getting quite convicted at times, to be honest with you. What we say. The Bible instructs us to pray for those that are in authority over us. Let me just pose something in in closing. Imagine what would happen if Christians, if even this body here, if we took all the time that we spend complaining and criticizing and armchair quarterbacking over and saying how we would do it, if we took all that energy and all that time and we, instead of doing that, we spent that time in prayer for those in authority. Not only would it be a more peaceful life for you, be a more peaceful life for those around you. And God is the one who says, listen, pray for those in authority. So real simple on this Mother's Day for moms, dads, and those in authority. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Be a good citizen. Obey the law. Pay your taxes. Live for Christ. Do good and shine bright for his glory. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for this lesson. May we hear it. May we heed it. Father, it's difficult at times. We don't like it. But Lord, you haven't called us to like it. You've called us to obey you. So help us to see the good that you placed in our life by giving us authority. And help us to respond appropriately to it. Now I pray, Lord, you bless in this closing hymn of this invitation time.
If someone's never placed their faith in Christ, maybe, may this be the time where they turn from their sin and place their faith in Christ. And then for those who are believers, perhaps you've spoken to their heart in some area. Maybe they have a child that's weighing heavy upon their heart. Maybe some choices they've made. Maybe today they need to come and pray and give those matters to you and get right. So have your will, have your way in this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 602 is our closing hymn. 602, my Savior, first of all. The altar is open. You need to be saved today. We'd love to talk to you about that. If you need to come and pray about anything, we would invite you to come. You can come and pray. If, we need to, if, we want, if you want us to help you, let us know. 602, let's stand and sing, my Savior, first of all.